isn't that crazy how like through all the travels and all the really cool stuff you see in the places you go that are really awesome it's a lot like like our favorite breweries it's the people you meet and the people you connect with and those little moments like changing a light bulb literally it's just mundane things but sometimes those are the connections that last forever welcome to the craft beer travel and adventure podcast with living a stout life this is where we sit down with creative thinkers on-the-road adventurers, and craft beer lovers. Your hosts, Ken and April, live, work, and travel in a 24-foot RV in search of inspiring stories around a great beer. Hello. Hello. Welcome to our COVID-free podcast, where all the COVID you want is free. (laughs) (laughs) It could be, except that we don't have any, as far as we know. We don't have any, and we don't want to give you any. And on that note, welcome to our podcast. I don't know what to do with that introduction. I might actually just keep it. We um, have met with Jordan and his lovely wife, Michelle, and their lovely brand new daughter, Penelope. Oh my gosh, she is a cutie. She is so cute. Oh my gosh, she's a cute little girl. During a pandemic, we haven't like met her yet. But I don't want to give you all the details on that, because we did talk a little bit about that in the podcast, so... I do want you to hear that from them because it's it's interesting, you know, the little everyday life things that, you know, we haven't had it that bad. We've been pretty chill, and I mean, haven't it, had what it's that bad? The like we haven't during, had it, during, period. No, I mean, <laughs> our lives haven't been like really hit hard by the pandemic, like a lot of people. And yeah, I mean, the yeah, the not being able to go to see our friends at breweries and things like that are. It sucks, but come on, that's a first world problem. And speaking of friends at breweries, <sighs> yeah, and getting so... Kenny off the pandemic thing yeah, again. Get me off the pandemic. <sighs> Shut up! I'm hitting him. Speaking of friends at breweries, <laughs> we need to be short because this podcast was long, and you'd rather listen to Jordan and Michelle instead of us, anyhow. But we met Jordan when we first did our uh, YouTube interview, Stout Conversations, and we met him at the brewery at Woodsboss because we loved the idea of the brewery that he had in downtown Denver. Um, but this conversation is more about him. Yeah, that one was a lot a lot more focused on Woods Boss, the brewery, right. and the beer, and all that good stuff. This one is focused on Woods Boss, the man. The, the man. <laughs> and the woman. And the woman, definitely, because they're both um, definitely wood bo- Woods Bosses. Um, so, yeah, we met Jordan a while ago. We've become pretty good friends. Um, he's fucking awesome. He knows how to make good <laughs> shit happen. He's a Michael Franti fan. He's a nature-loving fan. Like, he's done everything. Well, you just spoiled the whole podcast. No. So just don't, just turn it off now. Don't listen. Really, you're encouraging people just gave you everything. People to not listen to our podcast? No, I'm just kidding. There's a lot of great shit on there. There's a lot of great stuff. And he'll, and he's, he's just really like inspiring and I, I use that word like so much that it's kind of losing its meaning but he is like his no, that's travels what, that's that's why we wanted to do the podcast though because yeah. we've met so many cool inspiring people that maybe haven't just like blown the top off the world but have done some cool shit with their lives and they do it yeah at, at, like michelle and jordan have done some really cool things over their lives and they're and they're a little bit younger than us not much but a little bit younger and They've still done so many things and gone to so many places and they're gonna, had a baby during a pandemic. They're going to raise Penelope to be this like <laughs> kick-ass woman who's not going to take any yeah. shit from anyone. And I can't wait to like meet her. I and, call her a Woods Boss Junior right now. Yeah, totally is. But I think on that note, we should just let Jordan and Michelle talk. Yeah, here's uh, Jordan, Michelle, and the lovely Miss Penelope. 
think that's oh, gotcha. looking right at the thing now. Aww. We always argue over who's going to introduce who, but we're here with Jordan Fink from Woods Boss Brewing and his brand new baby. Penelope. She's so sweet, Penelope. Penelope Felweg. Tell us about the middle. Okay, well, yeah, so we, we got to jump right into the middle name, I think. Yeah, because <laughs> that's that is a unique one. That's right up there with like uh, what I, I can't even say what Elon Musk named his kid. So, <laughs> yeah, tell us about the middle name because maybe that'll get us into more of like why we think you're so cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then we've got the rocking action with the foot. I've got a beer to help me get through. Starting early, because we're starting early. I don't know if you can see that. Starting early. early from Woods Boss Brewing Company. There it is. That guy's the trail god. From the old um, Civilian Conservation Corps um, posters. So Thalweg, uh, in one of my many past lives, I was a hydrologist, fluvial geomorphologist, and watershed scientist. Um, and I used to study, you know, landform processes surrounding water, right? So uh, fluvial geomorphology, if you break it down, means uh, how water, fluvial, um, changes the Earth's surface. Geo being Earth and morphology meaning change. Um, so uh, within that, I used to study rivers and do um, things like hydrographs and whatnot. But um, there was a term... Uh, for a piece of the river channel, which was Thalweg, and that means the deepest part of a river. Uh, so in talking with my wife years ago, I explained that term to her and told her how much I love just the concept of it, right? That there's this one point that is the deepest part of a river um, where, you know, the water moves fastest. Um, and basically you connect the dots down the length of a river channel, and the Thalweg is this linear thing all the way down. Um, and I always thought, even though it might sound weird to other people that we had a kid, I wanted that kid to have the middle name Thalweg. So, Penelope Thalweg. Pretty cool. But I can see like a whole bunch of, there's a whole lot of like double meanings in there and like oh, the yeah. deepest part oh, yeah. of a river and like, uh, yeah. your daughter has some cool parents, let me tell you. Deepest We're part okay. of the river, deepest part of your life probably, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All that, That's yeah. Awesome. Very cool. So Jordan, you and, um, I did introduce him. Okay. Right? I did. I said, this is Jordan Fink of Woods Boss Brewing Company. <laughs> oh, okay. And his daughter, Penelope. You said You guys that. are the best. We're the best. <laughs> <laughs> He's making me repeat things like he always does. <laughs> um. So I was going to say, I was going to say, and then I forgot okay. what I was going to say. I don't know. Oh, Woods Boss. So tell us more about like Woods Boss and what the hell that means. And actually you are a Woods Boss and where the name came from, I guess. I guess if once a Woods Boss, always a Woods Boss. Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> absolutely. So uh, let's, let's take it back, way back. Um, because uh, it's important to know what came before and how we got where we are. Um, at least in part to know where we're going and where we're from and all that sort of stuff. So, um, all right, I'm gonna see if I can pass this kiddo off. It's real well, life. We're yeah. not, like this isn't a studio pr produced session. It's just real life with you and a baby and us sitting in the RV. Uh, I, uh, I'm in a closet, so. <laughs> <laughs> it works out well. That exactly um, That's where Woods Boss belongs in a closet. In the closet? <laughs> also, it's funny, because I actually met my wife in a closet. Um, oh, damn now okay wait finish your woods boss story now we have to come back <laughs> yeah, to meeting your wife in the closet wow. yeah, no, absolutely. um 
So I grew up uh, in suburban New York, right? So right outside of the city, um, you know, middle-class Jewish family. Um, but one of the things that my parents instilled in all of us was an appreciation and love of travel and the outdoors. So even as a kid, we were um, in the amazing position where we were able to take summer vacations, right? Um, and we did a few different times, um, came out west, parents rented an RV like you guys, and, you know, we traveled around the west for, you know, three, four weeks at a time. Um, and we'd go all over Colorado and Utah and visit all the national parks and um, California and Oregon, Washington and, you know, Cal um, Canada up to Banff and Jasper and um, just amazing memories. And it instilled the love in the outdoors for me. Um, when I was in high school, I was looking for uh, a, uh, a better way to spend my summer um, than what I might have otherwise been doing. And I uh, came across a program called the Student Conservation Association, um, SCA, which was modeled after uh, the CCC, um, Civilian Conservation Corps, which was part of Roosevelt's New Deal, right? Um, putting out of work um, masses back to work, building America, building the infrastructure. Um, and a large part of what the CCC did was build trail systems in the national parks. Um, the single largest civilian conservation corps project um, in the country in the history of that program was actually building the Red Rocks Amphitheater, um, which I live four miles from up uh, Bird Creek County. You guys want to say hi to Michelle? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. We want to really hi. hi, Michelle. Hi. You're great for putting up with him. I know. <laughs> she, she's got a place it's in a heaven. It's a tough job, but I guess someone's got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you see? Um, yeah. One uh, of my great interests. I, I'm really fascinated by that era and uh, the CCC and the work that we've done, trail digging. Um, actually, the oh, no, get, I love get talking about the history. It's all good. Yeah. Jump on in. Yeah, um, I um, I also did an SCA stint in the Mojave Desert in California after uh, true story after college. But um, just a tidbit about the Morrison um, Red Rocks. Oh, but the the only um, barracks, the only remaining barracks in the United States for the CCC members is in Morrison in the United. That's the last one in the United States. Oh, wow. um, those buildings are actually used for uh, local maintenance, just highway maintenance, um, as well as the Home to Historic Corps, which is a wonderful local nonprofit. Um, and they repair and uh, actually I, I did a stint with them in California um, a couple of years ago. But <laughs> <laughs> um, you probably you can't see Jordan's face, but he's just sitting there smiling and shaking it. I think you two I, like I love this stuff. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, Historicor is a cool organization um, that uh, works on uh, different buildings, historic buildings in the United States. So they actually did some restoration work on a local well house in our town of Idledale, Colorado. Um, so, oh. so that's how I got to know about them. And then I was working on a railroad, or um, sorry, a ghost town structure in California a couple of years ago. Um, and the ghost town is visited by tourists all the time, but they want to maintain it in a state of what they call arrested decay. 
So they don't want to restore it necessarily, but just keep it as it is. That's a good name for a beer. Arrested Decay. That is a good awesome. one. <laughs> that would be an awesome beer. It's got to yeah. be an aged beer, right? <laughs> yeah. Anywho, um, sorry to interrupt. Just no, you're fine. She's not sorry. At all. No, I'm not. I'm not. I love it. <laughs> and trail digging. Yes. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> So I ended up doing a, um, a summer stint of six weeks um, with the Student Conservation Association when I was uh, summer between my junior and senior year of high school. Um, and we were living in the backcountry in the hills of uh, Northeast Oregon um, outside of, um, well, it was North Fork of the John Day Wilderness. Um, and we were uh, basically repairing a section of trail and building this long, big um, log crib wall. Um, and we're using all sort of native traditional um, woodworking skills, right? So we were using crosscut saws to drop trees and shape them using hand tools. We're in the wilderness, so you can't use anything motorized. So no chainsaws. Plus we were like 16, so they weren't gonna let us run a chainsaw anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, it was a, formative um, time in my life, right? Um, transformative even. Um, and all of the most significant uh, experiences in my life have generally taken place in the outdoors, um, in the mountains, in the forests, in the wilds, in the deserts um, of not only this country, but other ones as well. Um, so uh, after uh, my freshman year of college, uh, I was, not really interested in being in school at that time. And I moved up um, here where I actually am. We're posted up in Avon. My folks have a place up here uh, and we are um, utilizing it. They're stuck in New York, but it's nice to sort of trade spaces every now and again, especially with an infant and, um, and it's gorgeous up here right now. And we're up in the hills and it's great. But I moved up to Vail, ski bummed and was lucky enough to get a job uh, with the Forest Service up here. Uh, I was living in this tiny little town called Redcliffe, doing some odd jobs. We'd been up here for maybe like two, three weeks, um, waiting for the season to start, trying to find jobs. And uh, I had ran into someone in town who worked for the Forest Service. And I said, oh, you know, I did trail work. I'd love to do that. And they told me to go knock on the door of this guy named Steve Bull, who lived right down the street. Um, and I knocked on the door and I had already applied for a position. I'd sent an email or dropped off an application. This was back in the days where li literally you would drop off a handwritten application, right? So I knocked on the door and he opened the door. He's like, what? And I was like, holy shit. You know, <laughs> big, burly, you know, like 30-year-old guy. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm Jordan. I want to talk to you about it. He's like, I want to talk to you. Come back in a half an hour. And slammed the door in my face. I was like, <laughs> all right. Anyway, came back. He gave me a job. Um, ended up working for the Forest Service um, Dig and Trail for uh, a good number of years, um, about six different seasons, uh, and worked my way up through um, just being a grunt and uh, ultimately doing survey work and um, trail design, um, uh, mapping out and, and actually planning trails, uh, as well as being um, crew leader down the road. Um, during that time, uh, I had moved to, so it wasn't like six years in a row, it was sort of back and forth um, during that time. But in between there, uh, I moved up to the Pacific Northwest 
um, I was going to CU Boulder and realized that um, while I love Boulder, uh, CU was a little too big for me. Um, I was just, you know, one schmuck out of 25, 30,000, whatever. Uh, and I ended up transferring to this uh, super hippie school up in Olympia, Washington called the Evergreen State College. And it was perfect for me. It was great. Um, you know, they didn't have grades. They had evaluations. You took one class per term with like maybe 20 people. And since you only took one class and it was interdisciplinary, you could go on, you know, month long field trips with your professor if that's what they wanted to do and you were up for it. So uh, while I was up there, I got to, you know, float the Grand Canyon for 18 days with my class um, on dories during um, spring break and part of, uh, you know, the school time um, studying fluvial geomorphology, right? Um, got to spend uh, three or four weeks working our way up from uh, Northern California all the way to the um, Northwest tip of Washington studying coastal dune systems, um, which was really cool. Um, all sorts of really fun stuff like that. Um, so while I was up there, I ended up um, getting a job with uh, the Northwest Youth Corps, um, which is a youth conservation corps, again, modeled after the CCC, and what we would do was take teenagers, very similar to my experience as a teenager, um, out into the woods for five or six weeks at a time and do trail work, environmental education, life skills, work skills, you know, personal development, team skills. Um, you know, we would live in tents, we would work in tents. <laughs> it was great. Um, kids had to, you know, cook all their own foods and develop a community and responsibilities and all that sort of stuff. So uh, I was a crew leader. Uh, and eventually worked my way up to uh, a program manager. Um, and the title for that position was Woods Boss. So I was running a, uh, a group of four different crews that were associated together um, that were under my you know, management, supervision, whatever. And I would travel between the crews every week, um, visiting each crew, uh, working with them, bringing the fun, bringing the intensity and the work ethic, bringing the hammer when that needed to happen because, you know, th these kids were hard. Um, they were challenging. We were living in the woods and it was wet and cold and we were asking them to, you know, dig or, um, you know, limb trees day in and day out for, um, you know, forestry stuff. I mean, it, clearing invasive species. Thank you, Michelle. Um, <laughs> but when you're doing that, though, like you realize how strong and how um, flexible like kids can be, like how much they will actually do compared to some old fuddy duddies who are sitting on the couch who would be like, I'm not staying here. And they're out the door because I've taken kids camping in the we were just talking about this up in the middle of nowhere and near um, Mission Wolf and Gardner and stuff like that in Colorado in the middle of nowhere in springtime. And it's snowing like crazy and we're camping in tents. And we have service projects that we're going to be doing and it's six inches of snow every day yeah. and yeah. all we have is the outdoors like we're cooking in the snow we're in the mud of the snow and like doing everything in the snow and these yeah, guys miserable. Took out, yeah it is but these guys that i took out are like 10 years old right. and they're troopers and they continue yeah. to do it and then they they're laughing at it and they're having a great time with it while they're freezing their little fingers and toes <laughs> so it just Absolutely. builds this, this, this strength when you do that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating um, how impactful it was, not just for me, but for these young people uh, and 
and every graduation, you know, the kids would get up there and talk about uh, how even just those five or six weeks had changed them um, and their views. And you'd be able to see it. You know, you get these truculent, um, pissed off teenagers that like didn't even necessarily want to be there. Some of them um, were miserable, had never taken a poop in the woods and, you know, refused to do so. So we'd have to like sneak coffee grounds into their meals and maybe like sprinkle a little tobacco in there so like it would get employed like look it, it's cracking pants or crap in the woods man um <laughs> anyway, those were you know it seems like little things but were big deals for them and the yeah. um the growth and the strength that that came from that for them was um amazing and you know i mean this is uh 20 years later, right, um, that uh, I still keep in touch with some of these folks um, and have random ones that I worked with find me on Facebook and reach out and um, tell me not only how the program was impactful, but how me and the other leaders were impactful um, to them and they were able to carry that through. Uh, you know, so being a Woods boss was far and away the most challenging uh, and most rewarding time of my life. Um, it was the hardest job, physically, mentally, spiritually, all that sort of stuff. I mean, it was seven days a week, 24 hours a day for months at a time, uh, dealing with some pretty hard stuff. Uh, and, you know, the, the personal growth that I experienced was amazing. I mean, I've carried all those things with me. Um, not only in terms of work ethic, but also philosophy around life and community and interactions with, with other people and um, all that sort of stuff. It's where I met Michelle, actually. So uh, I was out in the woods in a closet. Yeah, well, I was <laughs> on the trail. <laughs> She's laughing. <laughs> I was. Like, I'm getting there, Michelle. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so I was uh, a woods boss and Michelle came in um, midway through the summer um, during second session and, uh, you know, not every crew leader could do multiple sessions. Um, we were always strung out trying to find um, good adults to stick with us and, and lead these kids and all that sort of stuff. Um, so Michelle showed up midway through the summer and we were getting ready for the next session. And I was in a storage closet going through uh, all of our equipment with the crew leaders and she walks in. Um, <laughs> no, I'm gonna. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if our podcast people, if you can hear him, but Michelle's like yelling from the other room. I have no idea what she's saying, but Jordan's going to She's coaching him through the story. <laughs> she said, don't throw me under the bus. She walks in. I was like, wow, this girl's really cute. And I looked down and she's wearing, you know, Birkenstocks. It was like, hey, nice to meet you. You need to go put on shoes because you can't have open-toed shoes here. Because if you lose a toe, then, you know, that's no good. I might as well join. Anyway, no, 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 it's all good. So, um, like I said, uh, you know, it, it's where I met Michelle. Um, we didn't start dating until we were no longer working directly together. So, uh, well, we did go fishing off the company pier. It was, you know, we had a license to do so. <laughs> you had a license to do so? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So how long have you guys been together now? Uh, 14 years. 
Ooh, nice. nice. Congratulations. Yeah. Maybe 15. Yeah, we're, we're 14 or 15. Okay, good. That's how we do it, too. Like, uh, yeah. tw uh, 22, 23? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Figure it out. Um, so A long time. A long time. <laughs> we'll be married 11 years next month. Um, nice. Yeah. So when, uh, when I was looking at starting a brewery and we were playing around with some names, um, Michelle was the one who said, you have to call it Woods Boss. It's such a big part of who you are and, and where you come from. And, you know, having a brewery is all about telling a story. And there's no more important story in your life other than her, um, than her time as a Woods Boss. Um, and the things associated with it, which includes working for the Forest Service and Student Conservation Association and all that sort of stuff. It's all tied together. Um, and, you know, uh, Chad and I, Chad, my uh, business partner, um, we both like to say that, you know, the, the Woods Boss name is, is, it's really not about me. It's more about that philosophy and that work ethic and that idea of community because um, there are multiple Woods Bosses uh, at any one time. And the, uh, that core group of Woods Bosses is just an amazing group of people that can work magic. Um, and uh, it's about all of them and the idea that uh, if Woods Boss is a philosophy and a way of treating people and an idea of community, um, then everyone can be a Woods Boss. Uh, and um, we hope that they choose to be. Well, and I think uh, having known you for a little while now and the brewery, which we love, of course, um, that obviously carries into the brewery because you guys are very community minded as far as bringing people in to gather in that space but you also give people a place to gather if that makes sense you're not just bringing in customers right like you like you do a uh, i don't know maybe you can speak a little more about like what drove you guys to do so much um community action type stuff because you you offer a lot of um, fundraising sources for community members and and just a place for them to meet sure uh, I mean it, <laughs> it was never a question that that was going to be a big part of what we do because it ties directly into all of our um, values and our beliefs right right giving, giving back um, education um, supporting conservation efforts and you know taking a humanistic view of the world. Um, I spent a lot of years working for nonprofits, um, which was great and challenging. Um, and I always said that if I ever started my own business, I wanted to have um, basically almost a fundraising wing um, built into it to support those same types of organizations. And Chad is exactly the same way. The first time we ever sat down to flesh out what Woods Boss was going to be and what it was all about. We hadn't, we didn't even have a business plan yet. We were just talking about the, the concept of it. Um, and it was never about what kind of beer we're going to make or what is the thing going to look like, or um, there was no discussion about financials or anything like that. It was um, what kind of organization do we want to be? And the, the very first um, piece of that was an organization that gives back, um, that provides um, that, that idea and opportunity for community and building community. Um, we always talk about the concept of third space. For those who don't know, um, first space 
is home, right? Um, where you spend a good chunk of your time. Second space is work, where you spend the majority of your other time. Um, the third space is where you find community. Um, it's where you go to uh, engage with your passions and your interests um, and people and all that sort of stuff. And we always wanted Woods Boss to um, be a third space and extend that idea of third space beyond the walls of the brewery itself. That's awesome. Now, it's just when you were talking about the first, second, and third space, and I'm thinking of like the world today, I'm like, every that one space is all of those spaces right now oh my gosh, and yeah. i can see how that can cause like both joy <laughs> and heartache <laughs> what yeah. and heartache heartache is a big part of it and heartache like it can cause both because you can't get to these separate spaces that you need to kind of um bring in what am i trying to like the all the pieces that you need to create like a complete human well it's so, so hard to build that community and to build that space, that third space. I mean, I think I probably even for you too, Michelle, I mean, I'm sure that this is a tough time, not, not cause Jordan's home all the time. I mean, that's probably like for all of us, There's no picnic. that's always good and bad. It's always good and bad, but, but you know, I mean, because that space is bigger than the brewery, like you said, it's, it's all inclusive. And I know all you guys as family members are very involved with the brewery as well. It's not, it kind of blends all together work family life it's one yeah. thing yep. yeah i think there's a lot of burnout now too from things like zoom and yeah and people are craving the face-to-face -face contact I, i'm a high school teacher i teach in an alternative school and i'm on leave now but i know kids are fatigued by the online learning especially my alternative youth and um or my at-risk youth and uh this is when a place like the brewery is so crucial people want the place to to go that outside third place to uh, space to to congregate and you to say place. Well, place space yeah <laughs> um, to, to to meet other people to meet old friends and new and uh have just the organic face-to-face -face contact well, yeah. yeah good beer is rarely if ever just about the beer it, yeah. it's like <laughs> I mean, I, I think that you guys understand this uh, as well as anybody, considering um, what you've done with Living a Stout Life and the relationships that um, you have developed along the way. And for me, one of the reasons why I wanted to open a brewery was, um, you know, craft beer was always a huge part of those social um, interactions and hanging out with friends and, and experience, you know, I mean, camping out in the woods under the stars with a campfire, having a um, Dick's Danger Ale. Um, <laughs> I remember that from the Pacific Northwest. Um, or a um, Deschutes uh, Black View Quarter, right? I mean, yeah. the, these pieces are tied to those memories and those experiences, right? And those um, places. Yeah. And those places. Thank you. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, the, the beer obviously should be fucking fantastic, right? Um, yeah. that, that's what we all shoot for, um, is making uh, a product that people will love and be passionate about, but it's, it's so much more than that. Um, when Chad and I talk about um, the idea of what a successful brewery was and does look like, um, was going to and does look like, um, obviously you have to have great beer, 
um, but you also have to have uh, a great space um, and great staff uh, and uh, develop that notion of community and create that space for community, which is what will bring people in and bring people back, right? And create this extended family, this extended community that views whatever space, whether it's Woods Boss or, you know, the take your pick of 8,000 other breweries, um, and that becomes your, your home, your third home or your local or whatever. Um, a place you go back to where, you know, you walk in, it's like, Norm! <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and we, we have a lot of that. We have some great folks that three years ago, we didn't know that we view as family right now. People who live down the street or people who um, come by and visit once a year um, that we are always excited when they walk in the door. Like, we met them, we had a, an amazing conversation over some great beers and developed a relationship and don't see them for a year and then they wander back in. They're like, every time I come back to Denver, I come to Woodboss and I come looking for you because all of these other things beyond just the beer itself. Uh, and that's, that's what we're also <laughs> passionate about. Sounds kind of like we, a familiar story. <laughs> speaking of beer though, our glasses are empty. We haven't even opened our beer yet. What? I know. I'm almost done with mine. Wait, I know. You have <laughs> We're drinking Superior Bathhouse Brewery. What is this? It, it, I forget the name Padre of it. Dos, Sam, Dos Padrinos. Dos Padrinos. Okay, it's like noon for it's us a here. Dark Mexican beer. Dark this Mexican like lager. Eight and a half percent. Padrinos means what? Uh, two fathers. Two fathers? I don't know. Pa Padres is fathers. Yeah, I know. So Padres. the beer was actually made for a St. Patrick's Day parade. No, Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo celebration. Maybe it's two priests. That's it. That's good. That could be it. And yeah. it was supposed to be hosted by Danny Treves and Cheech Marin. <laughs> uh, no kidding. But that all got put on the sidelines, right? With everything going on. So who are Padrinos? I'm looking it up. Uh, they're core essential members of the Hispanic community who act as patrons or sponsors for family events. There you uh, go. See, so so Teach Marin and Danny Treves were supposed to be the the hosts. The hosts of the Cinco de Mayo parade in Hot Springs, Arkansas, believe it or not. Just uh, oh oh yeah, sorry. Uh, the guy from Yep, Machete and Machete and oh, stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yep, totally. So yeah. Those yeah. Oh, and the brewer <laughs> the brewer then a superior bathhouse loves the movie Machete. And he oh, oh yeah. I'm really sad yeah. for him now more than Yeah. Because he was he really, was really excited for that to... and stupid pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, kind of, you know, so, what are you going to say? Oh, I was going to actually kind of go back to the pandemic thing. Not and, too much. No, not too much, but I wanted to touch on um, Penelope and yeah. what it was like for you guys. I don't know if Michelle's still around. I know, but, Michelle um, left. <laughs> she's coming back. She's just bringing me another beer. Oh, okay. Oh, well, maybe we'll oh. just, oh, look at that. You have a good wife. She's kind of. <laughs> Oh, she's kind of dozing a little bit, isn't she? For those of you that can't see, she's so yeah, she's kind of dozing in her little rocker, and she is gorgeous. <laughs> she's gonna be a woods boss, I think. Oh yeah. Well, it's funny because um, she mini looks, oddly enough, a lot like me, but is actually good looking. So. <laughs> um, then I don't understand how she looks like you. Ooh. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Michelle's like, give me the thumbs up. Yeah, I need some validation here. Thank it's you. Actually, what I was just saying. Sort of flipping me off. So, having a baby in the time of a pandemic. 
Um, yeah, that had to have been just insane, I would think. Well, so there were, um, the, there's good and bad and everything, right? Um, so, and Michelle can speak to this as well, but, you know, going into uh, the end of pregnancy, right, um, was uh, the pandemic hit basically a month before her due date. Um, so it was super stressful um, worrying about potentially catching it while she was pregnant. Um, me potentially having it and not being allowed in the del delivery room, which would have also been just a disaster um, for both of us. Um, so we were able to, while it was stressful, we were obviously able to navigate that. Um, I am extremely lucky in the fact that um, where we're at with Woodbust and where we were at with the operations of Woodbust during the shutdown, um, I've got Ryan Logan, who is one of the most amazing brewers um, that you'll ever meet. That guy will run circles around 10 people. Um, he's, he's everywhere. He's our huckleberry, right? Um, he's, he's whatever you need him to be. Um, and he stepped up so that I didn't have to come down and basically run in the brewery in my absence. And I'm doing everything I need to do with Chad, trying to keep the business going um, from home, you know, like this right now. I, I don't physically need to be there with the amount that we're brewing. Ryan's got it on lock. So I was able to stay away. Um, and, you know, the, uh, the other, um, the, the benefit, oddly enough, of um, having a baby during a pandemic is, I'm home a lot more than I otherwise would be, right? Um, so I'm able to be much more present, um, be here to watch Penelope change on a day-to-day -day basis, um, to give Michelle breaks. I mean, she is doing an amazing job in <laughs> providing the, the primary care because, I mean, I'm still working, but I'm home. So I can step out for a half hour. She can take a shower. I can give the, the baby a bottle or just hold her or whatever, which is what I want to do anyway. Um, but uh, so I'm here. The the hard parts are, um, you know, our parents haven't gotten to meet her yet. Um, they're stuck back on the East Coast um, or any of our siblings. Um, we cannot um, see friends and um, let them hold her and share in this joy and this amazing experience. And they all want to. Uh, and we and, want them to. And be kind of the village to help care for and raise Yep. child the, the physical interaction because raising a child is hard like having a newborn is and a zoom village doesn't quite cut it no, no it's I mean, not it's that great. bad really. it's, it's great but the physical nearness of people and you know being able to say oh can you hold the baby it, it's wonderful but it's also a help to us right. too so yeah it's hard anyway and the beer helps the so beer now helps. he's holding up no root no peacock Imperial, um, Imperial now, Blonde Ale. <laughs> Not Imperial. Oh, American, American Blonde Ale, okay. American, American Blonde Ale with uh, strawberries okay. and mandarin oranges. It oh, is man. so good. So. Okay, if no, if if you guys have not been to Woods Boss, um, they're they're gonna survive this, and you're gonna get your asses to Woods Boss and travels back up again. We, we've made a pretty hard left turn into packaging. Yeah. Um, you guys know it was never any <clears throat> anything that I was. Uh, really interested in doing. It was something that if it made sense, we would do. Um, I uh, prefer the taproom model. Um, and it's funny because uh, going into the pandemic, um, 
in a lot of ways, the taproom model was, um, I think, a little bit more sustainable um, of a business model with the amount of competition on shelves and packaging and all that sort of stuff um, with your margins and whatnot. But um, now the, the uh, breweries that I think are a little bit more healthier, the ones that have a really strong, um, well-established distribution model. Um, because, you know, while folks are um, going out and supporting the tap rooms and buying crawlers to go, um, you know, it's, <laughs> I, I would argue that pretty much any brewery on average is looking at 20% of their normal revenue um, just in to-go sales, right? It's just, you, you can't do the volume, you can't um, have people stick around and all that sort of stuff. Um, so folks, while they're drinking a lot, are probably getting their beer from grocery stores um, or liquor stores. Um, one, it's, you know, packaged beer, oddly enough, even though it costs more to produce, is cheaper to buy, which never made any sense to me, but, you know. Um, right, it's like in the tap room, you make X amount of dollars on a, you, I mean, you probably make more off of one or two pours in the tap room than you do off of a six pack that gets yeah. sold out in the store or a four pack. So, well, I mean, I'd say two pours is equivalent of about a six pack in general. Yeah. So um, go, go get the to-go beer from the brewery. Even if you can get it at your grocery store, go to the brewery and get it because it, then it's more direct to them. So true. the closer you can get to the brewery, the better. So, and it's going to be fresher. And I'm going to dive off of um, the beer for a second and yeah. take it back to you guys have been together for a long time. And obviously, just from your backgrounds, you love the outdoors and all this kind of stuff. And I know from talking to you guys personally. Wait, Jordan just kissed Michelle. It was very cute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then she kissed him back. <laughs> Oh, oh, now it's getting weird. It's sloppy. Okay, now the tongues. I would do. Now the tongues are coming out. We gotta stop this. All right, go back to your question, <laughs> Kenny. Uh, question, Ken. <laughs> so, so during this time, you guys have been together. I know there was a little bit of time before Woods Boss that you've been together. Quite a bit, actually. Yeah. The brewery, I mean. Yeah. Uh, you guys like to travel, I know. And yeah. what are some of your guys's like highlights of places you've traveled? You know, I right now, obviously, none of us are traveling very much. Like, we're just moving our way back towards Colorado. But um, yep. what are some of your favorite travel adventures you've had? Well, so, oh, let me start. Well, I, I, I was actually going <laughs> to see if we wanted to have a wider narrow, right? So we've traveled extensively um, on our own, and we've traveled quite a bit together. So um, kind of a hit the highlights, you know, just like some of your each one of you could have some different favorites so yeah. yeah well um a few years ago we went to peru we had been saving our honeymoon money and um were unable to go uh at one point i can't remember why you got a job oh i got a job <laughs> <laughs> damn jobs so I'd always wanted to go to Peru. I'm very interested in uh, ruins and ancient places and sacred places. So, cultural anthropology. Um, yeah, cultural anthropology. I've spent some time down in Mesa Verde National Park. It's one of my favorite places to go, the Cortez area. So I did a little research on Peru and um, 
we ended up going there and we hadn't planned to go to Machu Picchu, interestingly enough. Um, it's always a big highlight for everyone, but uh, we wanted to check out some other ruins. And then we stayed with this wonderful woman. She had an Airbnb, Mariela, in the Sacred Valley. She was and the daughter of <laughs> one of the exiled generals um, from the revolution in Peru's fascinating yeah. lady. Yeah. Oh yeah, she had this, um, fantastic place by a river and we were just she was telling us stories about her father in a eucalyptus grove next to her house uh, by the river and she would collect eggs in the morning and make us scrambled eggs for breakfast and um she she was not only our host but she played travel guide and um, she ended up getting us tickets to Machu Picchu and well, organizing our taxi driver so, and telling us we had to eat the guinea pig on the side of the road. It's oh, wow. <laughs> did you so, Sorry, Jordan. Did you eat the guinea pig then? I did. Oh, yeah. I ate it. I shared it with the taxi driver and we just sat on the side of the road and he's like, oh, you got to have this. It's called Kui, you know, um, so the, the it's girl, a big guinea pig. Yeah. <laughs> you got to listen to the Funny. You don't get much meat. Your, your daughter's saying hi. <laughs> Um, anyway. So the, what what actually happened, um, not that she's wrong, but to provide some more detail, uh, is we were having, it was the first day there, we were having a conversation with this lady, uh, and she said, so... I love how he says what actually happened. He right. But you weren't wrong. It, it, you're not wrong, I'm just providing some additional detail. Um, so what, what happened was she was asking us about our plans while we were in the Sacred Valley, and asked us when we were going to go to Machu Picchu. And we said, you know, we actually hadn't planned on going to Machu Picchu. We saw it as this, you know, hyper touristy sort of thing. And we liked the idea of maybe visiting some of the smaller, more out of the way, less, less well-known ruins. So as to not, you know, be part of that tourist crush and have, you know, a little bit more separation with crowds and all that sort of stuff. And she's like, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. You are going to Machu Picchu. I'm going to set everything up for you. I'm going to be your travel guide. I'm not paying any money for you. I'm going to set up the train ride and the tickets and your, um, the I'm going to drop you off at the train station early that morning and I'll pick you up at the end of the day and then we're going out to dinner afterwards. Um, and you, you have like, you're here, you have to go to Machu Picchu. I refuse to have you be here and not go to Machu Picchu. I mean, obviously she was right. It was, um, it was definitely one of the highlights. But that also speaks to the, the generosity of people that you meet along the way, which is a huge part of traveling. And we had this um, incredible oh, so journey throughout Peru. We went to the Amazon basin and uh, we were hiking. Cordillera Blanca. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We stayed with these other people at the, the Lazy Dog Inn. And I got pretty sick, but um, Jordan had a good time helping the hosts with the uh, Changing, um, light changing light bulbs and doing little um, odds and ends around the house and getting to them while I, I was recovering and then we ended up hiking almost to the glacier, but um, don't, don't bring up I won't bring up the glacier. I wouldn't let them go all the way to the glacier. Isn't that crazy how like through all the travels and all the really cool stuff you see in the places you go that are really awesome, it's a lot like like our favorite breweries. It's the people you meet and the people you connect with and those little moments like changing a light bulb literally it's just mundane things but sometimes those are the connections that last forever you know oh, yeah. etch in your mind well i remember we were hiking on um in the cordillera blanca and we came along these other hikers 
and there's a um, a guy. He was from Japan. He was you know, just traveling. By he's himself. like 95 years old. <laughs> yeah, he was a lot older, and he was so happy. He was telling us they went fishing. He and his guides, and he's like, "I had sushi. You only made sushi. <laughs> it was just fabulous." I mean, um, you're admiring this this guy because he's significantly older than we are, and we're kind of huffing and puffing, and he's just having the time of his life and in pretty much the prime of his life, just enjoying, um, you know, his hike and, and his sushi, like from the screen. <laughs> um, that, that's a top, that was one of my top um, experiences. And then another big one was Nepal. And I'll let Jordan speak a lot about Nepal because, did you already speak about Nepal? No. Oh, no, he's, he's, it's a very interesting story. And I was only there for two weeks um, to visit him because I was working, but uh, he was there for about seven months helping to start the first craft brewery in Nepal um, about five years ago. And um, I won't spoil it too much, but he was there during the earthquake um, that happened. So, so Jordan, what really happened? <laughs> <laughs> There's only been two times in my life I've gotten to truly live abroad for an extended period of time. Um, one was in Nepal, the other one was um, a combination of Australia and New Zealand, um, mm -hmm. where I spent many, many months um, in those places. You know, everything else is like vacations, you know, a week, two weeks, whatever it is. Um, so you get a taste, but not a, a full experience. And uh, it's different when you are living in a place for months at a time, um, in a community, in, uh, a different country and um, getting an experience that um, travelers, tourists, and I don't mean tourists, uh, I don't use tourists as a pejorative um, in that sense. Nepal was, was an amazing experience. It was um, challenging from the sense of um, building a brewery from the ground up in a place that didn't have breweries, so it was lacking the, the infrastructure that um, as American brewers, we take for granted. Like I can drive a half a mile and buy any part I need from one of um, 20 different brewer supply things. You know, grain is readily available when I need it. Um, hops, um, yeast, all that sort of stuff. You um, had to drive to the border of uh, Nepal and India to get some of the supplies. Yeah, that, that was not a good day. How long was that? <laughs> How far was that? Oh, maybe three hours, but it was only maybe like 50 miles as the crow flies. Right, wow. right. So, uh, yeah. And, um, you know, one of the things about traveling in developing countries, not the third world, but developing countries, uh, is um, roads are really fucking dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it was my least favorite thing was like leaving the compound or like, getting from A to B because every single time that I was on one of the highways, I would see um, an accident that had fatalities every single time. Um, you know, we, so that particular day we um, were driving down and there was like a head on collision between a bus, um, you know, it's carrying people from A to B and a, um, like an SUV sort of thing um, that was going way too fast. I mean, people, there is no double yellow line. You, you know, it's you're driving down the road. Someone's coming towards you. They're not going to get out of the way. Like you have to get out of the way, even though they're in your lane of travel. Otherwise, you know, you're going to have a head-on collision. 
um, like a monumental oh, game of chicken, right? <laughs> no, yeah, it's it's it's, it's scary. Anyway. anyway, um, Nepal was fascinating and beautiful. People always assume that um, the brewery was like in the Himalayas, and uh, th this is <laughs> this is one of the things that I've come across is um, one Americans generally don't travel well, right? And when they do, uh, they travel as if they're still at home, which is frustrating to me when I run across Americans in other countries acting as if what is the social norm for them is the social norm wherever they are. And it's oftentimes embarrassing and frustrating to observe that. Um, but, uh, you know, Americans also, and I don't mean to disparage Americans, um, but they also don't necessarily understand the geography or anything of another country, much less other states within um, our country, right? Uh, the vast majority of Americans don't leave their state um, and have never visited other states or, you know, all these other places. Um, it, it's a big deal when they do. Um, but a good chunk of Nepal is actually um, not far above sea level. It's um, subtropical monsoonal ecosystems, hot and humid, um, sort of rainforesty. There's like elephants and tigers and rhinoceroses and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and that's where I was living, where the brewery was, was down on the Terai, um, which is on that border of India and not up in the hills. I mean, you could see uh, the Himalayas um, from where we were, um, but it was, you know, far away um, at the same time. Um, going up to the Himalayas was a separate trip, um, which I was able to do a few times. Went up to uh, Annapurna area, um, and uh, at the end of my um, contract um, with Sherpa Brewery, um, I wanted to go up to Everest Base Camp. I had no interest in climbing Everest. It's not something that I ever aspired to, but um, sort of being deep up in the Himalayas and um, at the foot of these hills was going to be great for me. Um, so I was up just below Everest Base Camp when the major earthquake of uh, 2015 hit. And, you know, I was in the tea house. Um, I was pretty sick. I was uh, altitude sickness. I'm an idiot um, in general. So uh, I tend not to pay attention to um, the rules that other people suggest, right? So Michelle um, is just Michelle is just smiling and raising her eyebrows. <laughs> here, here's I'm the, very expressive. Here's the example. Um, so most people, um, when they go to visit that region, will take ten to twelve days to get from Kathmandu. Um, they'll fly from Kathmandu to Lukla, and then they'll take 10 to 12 days um, to get up to basically Everest Base Camp. Um, I did it in four. Um, Chihuahua. Damn. <laughs> well, the, the problem is, is that um, you gain a lot of elevation in relatively short amounts of time, but like the, the distances aren't all that far. No, the and problem is you're impatient. No, the problem <laughs> is, is that, that I, I love to walk in the mountains and... <laughs> Uh, you know, so what would be a normal day's trek if you're doing with a guide company, um, you go like three miles and then you post up for the rest of the day and you tool around wherever you are. And I can't do three miles in a day. <laughs> I, I, I'm done with that in like an hour. And I'm like, what else? There's a reason for that, right? Yeah. What's the reason? 
I don't know. To let your body adjust, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm I the same way. I'm horrible with altitude. If I go up really fast, even in Colorado, I can go from Denver, drive up to Copper Mountain, which is about 9,000 feet, and then hike up to a cabin up there that's at 11,000 feet, and I'm screwed. Right. Yeah. For the first day, I'm wrecked. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Um, so uh, I got up there in like four and a half days. Like my one rest, my one rest day that was supposed to be acclimating um i was at like 14 or fifteen thousand feet which you know i mean that's colorado like that's fine i go up 14ers um the top and, of it. Yeah, I know, so, like, the very top of colorado well yeah but it's still colorado uh, <laughs> i got up here i made it up to ever space camp like uh, i'm exhausted mentally physically spiritually been here for seven months um i'm just gonna get on the road I i'm gonna head back down like i'm good um and I was having um, breakfast with this uh, Nepalese lady who is a mountain guide, um, who, uh, fascinating woman. She was the first Nepalese woman to climb like the um, six or eight highest peaks in the world, right? Um, so, you know, she'd been up ever. She'd been up K2. She'd been up... Um, uh, Makalu, and she was uh, doing a private guide for this guy um, who was an American. So um, we're having a conversation, and he's like, "Hey, look, um, I'm getting out of here today. Um, I've got a private helicopter chartered. We need to bring um, uh, her, whose name I can't remember, the guide, uh, two valleys over. We're going to drop her off, and then they're going to bring me back down to Kathmandu." I was like. Okay. He's like, no, just jump in free, whatever. I was like, yeah, okay. Sounds great. Um, so we're, we're hanging out waiting for the helicopter to arrive. Um, and uh, there's this thing probably in many countries, the Nepal time, right? Um, so uh, <laughs> people don't live by the watch. Like noon doesn't mean noon. Noon means like plus or minus eight hours. Um, so the tomorrow, right. We hunker down. Uh, they're like, we'll be there super early in the morning, weather permitting. Um, so I decided that, all right, I'll hang out, free helicopter ride. If the helicopter was, you know, due to arrive at the latest at one o'clock, the earthquake hit at noon. So I was just hanging out there, um, somewhere around there, um, inside the tea house, and everything just goes, what the hell's going on? I was like, holy shit, there's an earthquake. Um, people are hanging out by the edge of this cliff, which part of it had fallen away. I was like, get away from me there. Like, what are you doing? And then you hear this sound, which was like a hundred freight engines just rolling down the mountain. And I look up and I could see um, basically like half of Everest had just fought. Like I could see that gigantic avalanche um, come ripping down the mountain. And we were right up above the glacier and we're watching this thousand foot high powder cloud just come towards us. Yeah. And people just milling around. I was like, avalanche coming. And they're just milling around. And it's like, you know, uh, <laughs> maybe like 15 seconds away. I was like, get the fuck out. <laughs> so everyone was like, holy shit. And they came running over. We got hit by the powder cloud. I had like four inches of snow just plastered to me. It was a complete whiteout. It was like 80 mile an hour winds. It was just saturated with snow. Um, we're like, holy shit. So that happened. And then, me, the American Russian guy, and the um, Nepalese guide who next year won the National Geographic uh, Adventurer of the Year Award. Um, 
weird connections. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> so we we hiked up towards Everest Base Camp looking for people along the trail between Base Camp and us that um, were hurt, lost, injured, needed help, whatever. Um, and um, basically got up to Everest Base Camp and it was a shit show. I was like, they don't need me here, honestly. Like there are enough people. Um, Michelle and I were both um, firefighters, so we understand search and rescue and um, how not to turn yourself into a victim. Um, otherwise, you create bigger problems. And I wasn't feeling good. And I was like, I got, a, they don't need my help. They need me not to become another victim. So I'm going to go. Um, and I left and walked down the mountain, made it back to Lukla and then to Kathmandu and um, flew home and was um, brewing at Tommyknockers three or four days after I got back. So, how do you, wow, how do you process that? Because I mean, I don't. You had, you had that option to go home, and you did. Yeah. But there's all these people that, like you, your first instinct there was to rush and help. Mm -hmm. and that's that's just you, you know. I mean, obviously from your background and everything, that that makes sense. Sure. But uh, how how was it for you, like mentally, to process all that, like just going down the mountain, going to the airport, going to another airport, going back, you're in the States. And now a couple of days later, you're brewing beer after, and they're still recovering over, trying to recover over in Nepal. They're uh, still picking up people. Yeah. I mean, so uh, I think to some degree, I'm still processing that. Um, five five, years, later. five yeah. years later. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, I'm really good at compartmentalizing. So Trauma goes over here. Um, the rest of my life goes over here, and I'll peek into trauma to deal with it. Um, but I don't let it leak over into the rest of my life as much as maybe it wants to. Um, so at the end of the day, um, I still have things that I need to do and people that I need to um, care for and not um, have... Uh, trauma associated with me by me being stuck or hurt or dead, whatever. Um, so there's responsibilities that go multiple different directions. Um, at the end of the day, uh, it was such a shit show over there um, that me sticking around and trying to help wouldn't have made a difference. It made much more sense for me to get to where I needed to be, um, remove myself from the situation. I, I was way luckier than the vast majority of people in that I was able to do that. I mean, uh, I understand that um, there's a lot of privilege. So, you know, I mean, um, I might have had a little bit of PSD, PTSD, 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 um, because from the first earthquake to the, when I um, left Nepal, um, there were something like 250 earthquakes that I lived through. I mean, they're all smaller ones, but aftershocks, some were significant that would have been full-blown earthquakes on their own. Um, and you know it was just a constant thing and like fear of like being in a structure that might fall down and all that sort of stuff uh and it's like every five ten minutes be like the earth still feels like it's shaking anyway you know i mean it's you chalk it up to one of those life experiences that um i don't know that i'll ever truly understand what it meant to me or did to me um i do know that there is times where i certainly felt guilt about being able to leave, um, not being able to be more help. Um, I mean, I still have friends there um, and who were there when I was leaving. I felt like I was abandoning them. But uh, 
Well, and these people are still rebuilding, you know, five years later. And, um, you know, Jordan said, you know, Nepal is a developing country, so there's not always um, the support financially or the supplies. And it's rough terrain. Um, one of the co-owners of the brewery of Sherpa Brewery is Lakpa Sherpa, who owns the Sherpa House uh, Restaurant and Cultural Center in Golden. And um, he also has a nonprofit called Hike for Health. So he will have groups of people, whether they're students or adults, going to Nepal um, periodically throughout the year. And he grew up there, so he's he goes back all the time. And you know, they were undertaking some of the the rebuilding efforts. And it's like around the world, you know, one crisis after another, and it makes the news. But um, and there's something else that happens. So it's, oh, Haiti's still rebuilding yeah. from its earthquake. Yeah. So we do have a lot of privilege. You're, yeah. you're right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, hey, I gotta go. Uh, well, not not to you, Ryan. Um, uh, <laughs> Us, I've Ken and April. I've got a uh, cold box issue. I need to. Okay, well, uh -oh. put your beer up. Brewery emergency. So and we got. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, thanks. Can. It was a great. Oh, guys, sure it's not the last time we'll talk. Nice to meet so. you guys. All right. Bye. Cheers, guys. Bye. Wait. That ending was exactly like a friend scene. I can't help it. So right, Jordan's ending right. just made me think of a friend, another friend scene. I told you life reflects around <laughs> friends. Anyhow, Jordan um, is always awesome. As you could tell, we could keep talking travel for another five hours with him. Um, and that's one reason why we love him. Well, I'm actually surprised too, like now that we haven't met Michelle before because we've known Jordan for a little while yeah. now. and We've never met Michelle. And she's awesome too. I mean, I... It was I so, actually feel like they're mirror images of us a little yeah. bit. Not not like in our whole lives. Obviously, they've done some very different things in their lives than us. But like just their their interactions with each other and their their the way they the way they yeah. act. You guys didn't see them on the Zoom call, but they're like t you know touching each other when they're like talking too much and or giving each other like looks. Each other like April like, yeah. gives me the crazy looks all the time. <laughs> Same thing. Like, Stop talking. But. <laughs> I'm really glad that we got to meet Michelle and she was a part of that. And yeah, that um, was really good. Um, I meant to ask Jordan at the end, like how they can, how people can continue to support Woods Boss, but I think you kind of touched on that earlier. No, I think we know. I mean, right now. About buying at breweries. They actually can deliver if you're in Denver and in the right zip code on the right side of the tracks. Yes. Yeah, so if you're, if you're around the downtown neighborhood in Denver, you can get delivery from Woods Boss. You can go to Woods Boss and get to go orders and they're, you know, they're being very cautious about it and taking it out to your car. You can walk in and pick it up real quick. Um, yeah. And hopefully they'll be able to open in some form or fashion within the next, yeah. I don't know when, sometime but soon. sometime soon. Cause but they're very good people. And you can, I think you can tell from that conversation with Jordan, he's not going to put other people at risk. He's a, they're first responder type people. So right. They're going to be smart. But then about it. to back it up a little bit more, if you didn't catch it, because I had to jump out on the friends reference, he had to go right away uh, because he's still owning a brewery and he still right. has to like troubleshoot. And there was something going on at the brewery. So he had to deal with that. So hopefully he will be on with us um, in the next week or two. And we're going to have a group of different brewers, brewery owners. Um, yeah. We're going to basically people. have a panel discussion. Yeah. About, about, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight. The pandemic how it's impacting their breweries, their personal life, just things like that. And more about like the, I don't know. We're not going to go nuts on the business side no. of things, but I'm sure we'll talk a good bit about that. But, but also just how they're dealing with it. More about how it's impacting some of the people that we love. Yeah. That we've met through the brewery business. Um, I think you'll like it.
It'll be fun. Yeah. And like I said, it's going to be in the next couple of weeks. So you'll just have to listen to every episode. Oh, sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything else to say or add? I want to say um, subscribe, uh, leave a that. review, leave a rating. That helps us out a lot with the podcast. So uh, please do that. But otherwise, um, I want to say cheers. And again, fuck COVID. Uh, and good shit happens too. And good shit happens besides COVID. Cheers. <laughs> We'd love to hear from you. So keep the conversation going. Send us a note, share a beer recommendation or two, or just say hey. This Stout Conversation has been brought to you by livingastoutlife.com, where you can find community and resources for all your craft beer, travel, and adventure lifestyle needs.